Hello, and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to a brand new episode of Queering Daisy. This week, I'm so excited to talk to Gunwar Anit Singh Saini, also known as Seek Knowledge. Can you take a second to introduce yourself? Yeah, as you said, Seek Knowledge. Uh, Gunwar Anit Singh Saini was my birth name, born and raised Montreal, now living in Toronto for the last five, six years. Yes, absolutely. DJ, beat maker, clinician by day, all these things mean a lot to me. And here I am. Amazing. We're going to dig into a lot of that. Um, before I proceed, can I also ask your pronouns? Uh, yes. Uh, him, his, he. Awesome. Thank you. You are a huge inspiration to me. I've been a longtime follower of your stuff. Like your beats are really, really amazing. I think just beyond like your queerness and your identity and, and you being out there the way that you are, like a lot of what you do is so meaningful to the people that follow you, including me. So I'm just excited to talk to you and talk to, talk about the music and the beats that you drop, because I feel like to get a behind the scenes look is, is a special treat for me. So I'm kind of going to start there. Like I, I want to know, like, how did music kind of influence your early life and, and what has your journey been with music? And how did you kind of come here? You know, uh, as I get older, the more I realize that my childhood was uh, quite shitty. <laughs> and so, mm. you know, and, and like, I think what we do is we put ourselves in a headspace to just get through everything. And I think music played a huge role in me growing up as like a turbaned gay boy in Quebec, such that like I, I really grounded myself in music and and I married everything that was going on around me together through music. So, you know, growing up in Quebec, you can imagine there's a lot of identity politics, uh, language politics, race politics, of course. Mm. And then growing up queer and gay, sexual assault survivor within a Punjabi household, I also accessed a lot of Punjabi music. And when you're small and you're listening to the sounds around you, they often get tagged with the emotions you were feeling at the time and maybe some of the joys and traumas that you're experiencing. So I think what I did was I took music as a kid, whatever was around me, and I just, I really latched onto it to just get through. And so I was that kid in, uh, you know, kindergarten taking a Walkman to school, like that was unusual. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I remember a traumatizing event at school was when I lost a, a Bobby Brown cassette in the playground and I, I left class, uh, <laughs> you know, to go <laughs> find it. And they, I got in trouble for that. So that was me. And then also like my siblings are much older than me. So through them, I accessed a lot of, um, Punjabi music in the late 80s, in the 90s, that was coming into us from England, basically. Like, mm. Canada had a large Punjabi Sikh community, but, um, you know, a lot of the music was coming straight from England, where the UK, it's an old uh, power. And so a lot of world music came to England and then blended with Punjabi music. So old Punjabi music, without a doubt, like had dancehall flavors in it inherently. I was always listening to dancehall remixes, Bangla remixes as a very young child. And so I used all that just to get through, man, just to yeah. escape into the vibes and the sounds, basically. We're going to come back to some of the stuff you mentioned, but I, I want to kind of 
I'm curious, like, how that turns into your own style. You have this unique, like, this just seek, like, this is just you. Like, how does that kind of fuel where you are now and how you found kind of your style within that scene? Well, I think, like, I have epic moments in, like, Punjabi urban music history in my brain. And Mm. I want to emulate those. For example, I remember growing up in Quebec, we had, like, two music stations. We had, like... We had Much Music, which was Canada's English music television program. Mm. And then we had Music Plus, uh, which was like Quebec's Much Music because Quebec had to mm. do everything in French. Yeah. And I remember like not on Much Music, but on Music Plus, we had a show called um, – it was like a Friday night dance show. And they played Apache Indians video for Chuck De. But there was oh more God, versions classic. of Chuck De. And so this was the version that looked really dance hall, really, really British. Mm. And so – the scene of that video was like people dancing in archways wearing red, gold, and green jackets. And it was black and brown people, big hoop earrings. Uh, <laughs> the beat was different from the other version of Chuck De that everyone knows. It was much more dance hall. And like that to me was an epic moment in history. It was like when an artist like Apache Indian just went like all over the world and the song was good. It wasn't kitsch. It was just legit. It was dope. And I remember (laughs) taking that song in grade six or grade five to school and playing it out loud. And like some of my friends were like, what song is that? It's good. And I felt so powerful. And like, Mm. it was just recreating those vibes and what I do is so important to me. And like, as I get older, I'm like, yo, just stick to that narrative. That's what I do best. That's what I love doing. That's what I like to hear. So even now at like a party, if I'm dropping reggae, if I'm dropping dancehall, there's like epic portions of songs, like the breakdown when you hear the syncopated piano over a thumbi, like that Mm. is like, to me, that's my vibe. And so I just try to emulate it and bring those epic moments in history of the, from the music that I was influenced by. That's so powerful. I mean, I think it sounds like it comes so naturally to you, makes it sound easy, but I know like it's such a unique talent. I'm really in awe of you hearing you talk about that because it's like bringing yourself into what you do. I'm curious, like I've asked this question before and I've been on a learning journey just even through this podcast, but like, how do you bring your identities into what you do is usually what I ask. And I've, I've been told or given feedback that it's kind of just intrinsic to just who we are. Like we just walk around in the world with all of our identities. What I'm trying to get at is just how all your identities kind of come together into what you do, um, how they fuel that and how they kind of formed and shaped that. And that can be experiences and stuff. I'm not talking about just like, oh, well, I walk around being who I am. Like, I would love to hear about just kind of your experiences and how that influences from, like you said, language, politics, race, uh, religion, queerness. How did these things kind of all come together in that like natural fit for you when when you're dropping beats or just even doing what you do as a DJ? Like part of what you said earlier is kind of true. Like whatever you do inherently is an expression of who you are as a person and your experiences. But I think like if we make concerted efforts to create something with a narrative, that's also pretty powerful. Like I could sit here and make a house track, even though I didn't grow up on house, but that house track is going to have, you know, flavors of who I am in it without a doubt. Right. Mm. And so I think what I do is, like I said before, I'm trying to channel these like epic moments of joy that I've had amidst the the crappiness that I've, mm. I feel like I'm constantly trying to move through or leave behind. And I think, you know, it's interesting because creating um, was always, without me knowing, was always like a tool to heal 
to heal and move forward. And I realized that when a fine arts teacher of mine said these blasphemous words for a fine arts program, said good art is good business and good business is good art. And what Mm. he meant by that was just like, yeah, like if you're making art to share, that is in itself a business practice. And so then suddenly you're going to have to think about how you're going to propagate your art, how you're going to share it, how you're going to market it, et cetera. Now that stuff, I was always a creative individual and I never thought about that stuff and I never wanted to, and I never been Mm -hmm. a good business person. So now in retrospect and hindsight, I'm just like, I just naturally started creating things probably just as a coping mechanism, like Mm. just to deal. And, you know, a lot of beautiful things come from that for a lot of people. I think everyone's creative. And if you look at like, programs for cognitive behavioral therapy for people going through like various things, depression, et cetera, anxiety. One of the recommended indicated treatment options is uh, creative endeavors. And so Mm. including my history, my life or my flavors. Yeah. One, I agree what you said with first is like, yeah, it's natural, but two, it's just, I think like it's a healing mechanism to be honest. I don't think I've ever, I will ever stop creating. It doesn't matter if it's lucrative or not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it. Like I personally have been really engrossed and kind of on my own journey with intergenerational trauma and and something you said earlier about kind of coming into your own and realizing, you know, your past isn't what, what you always thought it was. I'm going through a phase of that myself and I've been focusing on this idea that like the trauma we carry is not only you know, it doesn't just stop at us and what we experience that like the folks that may have unknowingly or knowingly inflicted other traumas on me as well, yeah. were carrying their own. And so I'm curious, just personally, like throwing this question in there, because I think you would have some insight on your own journey in this. But like, how do you think that influences too, right? You're talking about colonial powers and British influences. And then, you know, in Montreal, in Toronto, like, how does all of that kind of come together in your stuff too? Well, we can be quite literal, like, the influences <laughs> that I was talking about before, like dancehall, mm. bhangra, Punjabi. If I'm just sitting there making beats, like let's make it clear, like my medium is making beats. Like I'm a backpacker mm-hmm. in life. I sit there in front of a drum machine and I I find loops. Like you know, mm. you can hear it in like probably the way I choose my percussion. Like I do have an affinity for like South Asian percussion, and so you know, you might hear like a boom bap beat that I've created, but the breakdown will have South Asian percussion. And I'm not trying to be Timbaland about it. I'm really just (laughs) extending my experience using this percussion. You know, I'm not sampling like something quote unquote Indian for the kitsch of it. And so there's that element to it. And then like, just the way I produce is very RZA. Like when, if you listen to RZA Mm. from the Wu-Tang, like back in the day, all of his brilliant works that I loved, I try to emulate in how he brings elements of like an extremely layered beat in and out at almost seemingly random, but there's still structure. Mm. That's the way I love producing my beats. And then just in terms of where my tempos and my my swing goes, it's very West Indian. Like it's just the way this comes to be. Like I used to like write a lot and participate lyrically until I felt I didn't feel the need anymore. Like I don't write or offer lyrics anymore at this moment in time. But back in the day, a lot of my lyrics were really Sufi inspired and Kowali inspired and based on repetition mm. and very existential just because that is, that's how I sort of accessed making sense of life was through Punjabi poetry, Sufi poetry, which is so like, so emotional and so desperate. And so you could hear it in the words that I use if I choose to use words again these days in my music. And so that's how 
basically how I'm marrying all of this stuff. Mm. Coming from Quebec, you know, the island of Montreal and surrounding areas, the greater Montreal area, in terms of like beat making, we're all considered like, I would say second to Detroit and Japan, or like, I would say on par with Japan, we're all Jay Dilla stepchildren. Um, like mm. a lot of people in Montreal produce that same way. Like I sort of associate and belong to a crew called Artbeat and like Catronata's from Artbeat, Kenlo's Artbeat, and like all these guys, myself included, we have this idea of what a beat sounds like and how we create it. And that's my Montreal influence. You could certainly hear that if I'm making something boom bap, you know? Being in yeah. Toronto now, like the last, I remember four years ago, everyone was three years ago, people are talking about the quote unquote Toronto sound. I'm here now, certainly influences <laughs> what I do. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, every step of the way, you're marrying what your experiences are and you carry a lot of it with you. And I certainly carry, you know, the happy moments of my childhood and growing up absorbing all of these influences. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully put. We were talking about all of the ways that what you've gone through and the places you've been kind of influence your style and your beats. But I also want to get into like some of the specifics, right? You mentioned that obviously it's in your DJ name, right? Sick Knowledge. But then also you mentioned that you grew up in a Punjabi family. I want to get into some of that, right? Like, especially when it comes to queerness on this show, like, as I mentioned before, like, I definitely don't focus on coming out as this one thing, but I think it's important to learn about each person's journey coming to your own, like whatever you're comfortable sharing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, no such thing as TMI for me. It's all good. Okay. I think <laughs> being children of immigrants, if, if you're a first generationer, um, we are trained to protect the image of our families. And moreover, we're trained to protect men in our families. And so as I've gotten older, the more disappointed I've been in where I've come from, to be honest. And um, the more I value the joyous moments that I've had as well as a child. And I think we naturally sweep so much under the rug because we're so caught up in keeping up appearances at the Gurdwara, at the fucking grocery store, you know, when we're bumping into family, friends, amongst relatives. We are trained to make everything look like it's going the way it should. And so what ends up happening is I think we just neglect a lot of the bullshit. And so I'm actually quite grateful for my faith background. Like I was raised Sikh. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there's like a good Sikh or a bad Sikh. I think, uh, you know, my name's Sikh Knowledge because it's a double entendre and not because I fancy myself like an amazing Sikh at all or whatever the hell that means. And I think as queer people of color who aren't from an Abrahamic background, we get sucked into this anti-Catholicism vacuum. So if queer Catholics and Christians or whatever hate their religion, suddenly everyone's on a religion bashing bandwagon and we're supposed to be on that because we're gay. It doesn't make sense to me because from a Sikh background, I have zero philosophical issues being gay and Sikh. Like they're none. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful faith. It's all accommodating. Now there's aspects to the culture of being Punjabi, which are terrible, but the faith itself is actually one of the reasons why I did come out so early in life. I felt at 17, there was so much going on. I was coming out to my family with trauma in our family that was done unto me and that as a child, I was projecting onto a little brother figure of mine who I've since mm. long ago reconciled with and all this crap, like I made concerted efforts in my teens to stop it all. And I did mm. for myself at least and kind of blew the whistle. So just to back it up to the 
previous point, I felt like I couldn't wear a turban and not be honest about who I was and what I've been through and what we're doing as a family and what we're hiding. And so I decided to come out of many closets, not just like the queer closet, and just sort of come back as a white Gandalf, so to speak, after <laughs> realizing that. And that was at like 17, 18. And so Sikhism had a lot to do with me just living a more, I don't know how to say it, like a more living a life where I'm more in the seat of my pants as opposed mm-hmm. to playing a part. And so I have no issues like many of our Christian friends or maybe even our Muslim friends about justifying why it's okay to be a religion and gay. I don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think many queer Sikhs have that problem. In fact, I think queerness lends itself to Sikhism. In fact, Sikhism is so queer. It's like Sikhism is the cousin of Sufi Islam and Sufi Islam is homoerotic as fuck. And so mm. all of that is beautiful and it all gets lost in this, I don't know what it is, this story of immigration where we're set up to protect our families and lie and hide and we're set up to protect men culturally. So the men that have done harm unto our mothers and us, I'm not excluding women, but we, we certainly do dance around the fact that our community, well, I use the term our loosely, but temples, churches, they're set up to keep men in power. Families are set up to keep men in power. And many of the homophobic, transphobic things that I hear coming within the community come from men and often echo this mm-hmm. whole power structure. So, you know, that's just been a theme. And in terms of religion, and faith and culture, like those are my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I I just want to take a moment and acknowledge like the beauty of what you said about Sikhism because I've always found it to be that way. I have many queer and trans friends who identify as yeah. Sikh, and I think it's something that's not talked about even within the South Asian LGBTQ community, like the faiths that are accepting. So I want to thank you for shedding some light on that because I think it's so important. I also want to follow up on something you said about keeping men in power because I think actually, ironically, is something I talked to DJ Rika about on our last season. But she was talking about how like gay men, even South Asian men in our community just because they identify as queer still can uphold this patriarchal system right because it's what we learned and what the culture is about and I think it goes back to something you said because it's not so much about the religions themselves being or yeah maybe we fall into like this idea that we have to religion bash just because we're queer or trans but I think what the problem that I've come up against multiple times is like this conflating of culture and religion right like to extract the Punjabi side of me from the Hindu side of me becomes more complex than just saying like, oh, Hinduism's like not a rat. Like again, Hinduism is one of those religions that I like, it's queer as fuck, right? Like there's so much there for that, but then it gets so intertwined. And so the resistance that I come up against is actually more cultural than it is religious. And then even within the queer community, that culture kind of resists. And I'm curious about your thoughts on that because I'm Punjabi as well. And I feel like that upholding of of that patriarchal structure is something that's extremely cultural and not religious. No, not at all. Uh, Even in the allegories that Hinduism and Sikhism are based on, there's so much gender bending. Like, fuck. Mm -hmm. Sikh names were created because they're gender neutral for the most part. And so having a chance to having like gone all over the world and and like DJed and performed like one of my closest friends is Humble the Poet and he's been such a supporter and I've accompanied him. I've been lucky enough to accompany him here and there. Like we've bumped into Sikhs of a variety and it's not exclusive to Punjab. Sikhism. Mm. And so suddenly you're seeing like white and black Sikhs all over the world. You're seeing 3HO practice Sikhism in their, in whatever way they want. And true, like when I see white people do anything, I cringe for 
for certain <laughs> things, um, especially when they're practicing Sikhism. But at the same time, like you can't be ignorant to the fact that, hey, one thing that these white and black Sikhs have right is when they sit and listen to the kirtan and the hymns, they're sitting mixed. They're not segregated side to side. And that's sort of fucked mm. up about our temples is when women sit on one side and men sit on the other side. And what is that really? Because if men and women sat together and like if there was an incident, I don't know, I feel like the woman would be blamed or it would be an aggressive man. I, or like, you know, <laughs> why do we do that? And like back in the day, I think one of the reasons were we don't want to distract the men. So like we have to hide the women. <laughs> it's so fucked up. And so anyways, all that to say is like, yeah, the culture is protecting men. And my eyes we're open to that like earlier on, but you know, when you travel the world and get to see how people express their Sikhi or their queerness and Sikhi, cause I met other non Punjabi queer Sikhs, then you realize, Oh shit, this is just the fucking culture that I'm from and it's fucked up yeah. and I don't like it. And so it's very anti Sikh as well, which is so ironic. Mm. And so, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. I just, I, it's like, even like with mixed race, dating and mixed faith dating or marrying mm. i don't see how you can be seek and be opposed to mixed anything because that is the essence of the faith is like it's mm. almost like you're supposed to push to be backwards compatible in any any way not to <laughs> say that any other way of living is backwards that's not what i'm saying but you're supposed like as a computer like you know to be seek means that you're you can commune with people of a variety or at least attempt to and to learn that whole idea that one must be seek for me to date or one like dating another brown person maybe or like you know women stay with women men stay with men and segregation gender segregation or whatever i think that's just it's effed up and it's not very congruent with the religion in the first place so there's like this massive irony yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just wanted to say, like, I forgot to mention this, that, you know, Amritsar had its first Pride Parade recently, and I found out about it through your page. And I was so glad to see that. I'm curious about your your brief thoughts on that. Oh, I'm proud as hell in the sense that I think yeah. this is the first time I've had, like, a connection with anything other than Sikhism with Amritsar and Punjabi culture that is, like, that I feel happy to look into, you know? So I, yeah. I came across yeah. a Project Kushal Society. I noticed that they had a pride and then another friend linked me their pride flyer. And I had to look into it because I didn't know if this, like I wanted to know if this was legit, like what kind of parade is this? And also I think wrongly, we assume like this is going to be dangerous. They're going to be met with violence. But I also think that we have insight into the culture and the community and legit our fears should be validated. And so I reached out to them and I'm like, like, if there's anything I can do, like, let me know. It was such short notice in terms of the flyer coming out and between the flyer coming out and the actual Amritsar Pride Parade. I couldn't have flown there. I, I didn't have the money to fly there, but uh, I would have. If there was enough planning, I would have participated. Mm. Kudos to them. It was organized by two teenagers. They had a pride flag. It says pride and it says Amritsar on the bottom of it. It's beautiful. And, you know, they're starting a lot of important conversations that need to be started. So that's great. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you were able to support that, even though you couldn't physically be yeah. there, because I think it was so important. Um, you brought that to my knowledge, and we tried to spread that knowledge as well. I think just the idea that this is happening and that support, wherever it comes from, is so important. So I'm so glad that you did that. I just want to move to, like, in our last segment, a little bit more about the music stuff. So you do drop beats more. That's more of who you are, and I and I hear that. But you are also, like, a really talented DJ. I want to know how you as a DJ, and I asked Rika this as well last season, because I'm having been in spaces— especially South Asian spaces, as a queer non-binary person, with all of the things we've talked about, I'm not always comfortable or don't always feel safe. And so I'm always curious to know, like, how you, when you're playing for a room, how can you as a DJ and how do you kind of make it more inclusive and more open and kind of infuse all the things we've been talking about that make you who you are into the spaces that you're kind of curating music for? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, like, what you're asking and, like, what, what am mm-hmm. I I'm basically taking a meta view of what the hell I'm doing when I'm up there you know, there's positives and negatives to every performance. And, and I try to critically analyze my, my sets. And I can tell you that hearing white voices in my sets is rare. You'll hear one or two Mm. white voices and I'm so sensitive to that. And it's quite natural. I don't do it on purpose. I just growing up, there was top 40 dominated by white artists. And I Mm. loved a lot of that music, but what resonated to me was black and brown people. And so Black and brown people dominate my sets. And so for that reason, being a gay male who doesn't play a lot of white voices or standard quote-unquote gay tracks, I do not cater to the white gay man often. And it's, it's just the reality of it. So the spaces that I'm invited to spin in, I shudder to use this word, but they're often more quote-unquote urban. And so mm. that's one thing. And how am I including these people who frequent my sets Honestly, it's a fine balance between like just doing you. Like you get booked to do you, do you, and having a dope crowd that just wants to enjoy. So I don't focus so much on including folks. It depends on the party. I focus on bringing like bringing me. I'll play a lot of the stuff that I create. Mm. I'll go where my heart and mind want to go. Another DJ criticized me for being selfish and not thinking about the crowd. But, you know, we're two different DJs. This DJ plays a lot of bubblegum top 40 and people love that. And I'm not throwing shade on it. And that's great. But I do a lot of like festivals and specialty things and people want to hear the sound that I created. So these are two different mindsets. You know, I spun Dundas West Festival in Toronto. Are you located in Toronto? No, I'm in New York. Okay, so Dundas West Festival is like a street festival. I did a block party, and um, at the block party, in my hour and a half set, it was lit. Everyone was having a good time. There was one white vocalist in my entire set, and it was James Blake, and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. cool. I love it. But my set was primarily Punjabi, Afrobeat, dancehall, Brazilian. And I noticed that there was a lot of Africans in the crowd by – the people coming up to me and giving me comments like, are you African? Why are you playing so much African music? It's amazing. Thank you. I'm giving like, get my life. And you know, based on that, like I'm not here trying to steal and appropriate. However, if there's South Africans in the crowd, I'm going in South African because I have South African tunes that I've remixed with Punjabi and this and that, and I'm bringing them something special. Same thing. If I'm booked to do a Punjabi show, I will never do a Punjabi wedding because that's just not my skill set. But if I'm booked to do, for example, in Vancouver, I'm spinning something called Indian Summer. It's like an indigenous slash South Asian festival. They're expecting to hear me. Mm. And so you're going to hear the influences that I spoke about on your show earlier. So it's not so much about accommodating the crowd. It's so much about bringing, it's about bringing me and at least being pleasing to the ear, making people dance. 
in terms of people, places, and like cultures, diversity, things like that, everyone's welcome to a Signalis set. It's so interesting that most of the gay parties that I go to, for some reason, like despite the fact that the DJ might be West Indian or the DJ might not be West Indian, but is like West Indian by association or understands the lyrical content of songs, you'll still hear a homophobic track. Like you'll still, and I'm like, wow, like it's so easy just to hear these words and just not play that track, but you're still playing it. So like, I would say when I first moved to Toronto, that was my shtick. I could play like four hours of reggae, like no homophobic slurs or content. And then I moved away from that because although that was my shtick and it was convenient for the queer spaces that I spun in, first of all, nobody appreciated it because no one is really listening to the lyrics for some reason. Second of all, the audacity of me to assume that that's a thing that West Indians might appreciate, I became woke to. Like homophobia in dancehall culture, in West Indian culture at large, is something that's really nuanced and specific. And although, like I was mentioning, I was raised off West Indian, East Indian fusions and associated with West Indian people most of my life, my heritage is not West Indian. So I said to myself, look, I can't have these kitschy shticks. I'm going to do me. I'm going to play my music, what's in my heart. And mm. so that's what I do. So you're going to hear Gurdasman. You're going to hear Sufi remixes. You might hear something new that's Bhangra. You might hear something very old that's Bhangra. You might hear, of course, dancehall, 80s, 90s. Like you'll hear it all. And it the important thing to remember is it's just like it's coming from me on the inside. And everyone is welcome. I'm not playing anything to offend anybody in particular, you will hear slurs, but you know, I've come to accept that part of the power of going to a good party is the emotive power of music. And if somebody says, bitch, pussy, cunt, it's context and it's the venue and it's the crowd because, you know, play a cunt ballroom track at some sort of like jazz party that might not go over so well. Um, But if you're wise to what you're doing, you certainly will bring the Mad Lib to the jazz party and bring that ballroom and the death drops and the sublams to the right space. So I guess on some level I'm inclusive, but I'm mostly just bringing myself. That's incredible, though. It's so well put. I mean, just that, that idea also of that wokeness, like coming inherently and bringing you back to like who you are is something I think I take for granted, like that that happens because there's and then I realize that a lot of people don't have that journey or don't do that. And I think it just makes you who you are and it makes it more special to hear you talk about it. I also want to know. So I'll do like a few like quick questions of just like a few answers here and there and then we'll wrap up but I want to know you mentioned briefly like in the beginning of of our conversation but I want to know more specifically like do you have any like early music influences or inspirations that you looked up to or like go-to tracks growing up that you were like this was my jam yo super cat ghetto red hot the original Mm. defines a whole part of my brain Soundboy burial by smith and wesson defines a whole part of my brain despite the fact that the first line is boom, bye, bye, and a batty boy head for Soundboy Burial. I only ever was exposed to the censor version on uh, much music growing up, but that takes up a whole space in my head. Early Wu-Tang takes a whole space in my head, and mm-hmm. early Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan takes a whole section of my brain. And so like, Absolutely. all those things are permanently there. And like, of course, over time in my teen years, I added on to this roster of influences, but those are my earliest... like earliest memories 
What a beautiful, beautiful plethora of, like, cultures and sounds. That's amazing. What is the track you're most proud of producing or, or dropping? I'm sure it's hard to pick just one, but, like, a throwback or, like, something that you just still sticks out in your mind, like a creation of your own. You know, like, as an artist, I think sometimes we listen, we, we look at our own work and we either just want to die or we just want to, like, listen to it or look at it over and over again. <laughs> you know? Like, so, I don't know, like, one track that lately I've been revisiting over and over again is this um, Gurdasman remix that I did. I titled it Alara Giovanni, but uh, I don't know what the title is. It's off some vinyl, but I remixed it and I like the way I remixed it. And, and I'm really proud of the way I remixed it because it's it's quite unique. Like he was singing on the right channel. There was music on the left channel. So I panned it all the way right so I could add my own beat and have none of the instrumentation mm. from the record. And he was singing acoustically, so he wasn't on tempo. But what I was doing was I created the beat and I was pushing and pulling the vinyl to keep him on tempo. So you could hear in the lyrics, you could hear these little like chipmunk modifications to his voice because I'm like keeping track of it second by second. And so I'm really proud of that remix because I think it was made really uniquely and uh, mm. it bangs heavy in a car and it's simple and his his lyrics are great and his voice is beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you plugged that one. I love that one. Can you also just shed light on like any dream collabs or even a dream like venue or place that you would love to spin, but or a collab for a track? Fuck, man. Honestly, even <laughs> though he's a beautiful white man and I resent him for it um, <laughs> because he's extremely talented and a bit of a D-bag as well. Forgive the phrase. No, okay. uh, <laughs> I'd spin anything for Diplo. Like I'd like, mm. Let me open for Diplo. I can handle it. I know I can <laughs> handle it. So that's like a dream situation. And then in terms of yeah. just like making beats for people, I've always had a dream to like – RZA did something really, really creative in the mid-90s. He came out with a side project called The Gravediggers. And it was mm. so creative and epic. But he did it at the same time as he was doing all his Wu-Tang shit. And I don't know how he did – came up with such a creative narrative – the concept of grave diggers was just being like, was raising black people up from quote unquote slave mentality. That's the way they described it. And the lyrics and the beats were so atmospheric and evoked. It just really woke you up. Even me as a brown man, I'm not black. Uh, it woke me up. So I have this dream of mine to put together a really meaningful project, kind of re-energizing the grave diggers. That's amazing. I want to really explore what it means to have a relationship with death and dying, depression, anxiety, but in a humorous way. Uh, and that's what the Grave Diggers mm. did. I think as queer people, we have a different relationship with death and dying in life uh, mm. because we're just so isolated and we're doing everything on – we do a lot on our own. And so – who will be here to take care of us? We don't have family structures that easy. Who knows? And so we mm. have a different, I think, almost like a fantasy fetish with suicide and death and dying. And I think if you pass that point in your life where you're no longer scarred or traumatized by many of us have had brushes with suicidal tendencies or ideation, mm. but if you pass that part, suddenly you have this very healthy, in my opinion, fascination with death dying and suicide like many of my drag queen friends and many of my trans friends who have just had it very rough in life have passed that point and now they have these very healthy relationships with death dying and suicide and i'd like to explore that more 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm so glad you you mentioned that. I think like something I come across not only for myself, but also queer and trans friends that have been through stuff like that is also this like gratefulness for being alive. So it also feels like the day to day. I think it's beautiful to phrase it that way of like a, a very of a very healthy way of relating to death and dying and suicide. Last question for you. That's like a quick answer would be like, what's your like go to song or album that you're listening to right now on repeat? Uh... If you can pick one. <laughs> Wow, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> oh, if you don't have one, that's cool. It's hard as a DJ. You're all, you're like you're yeah. micro listening. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say the Kalela remix album that came out last year. It's just tremendous. Like the remix. Like, I don't know. It just it didn't pass under many radars, but it wasn't it was certainly not pop. But this is like she took a lot of her singles and songs from her previous album and just dropped. Afrobeat, ballroom, beautifulness. And I'm really just absorbing that album over and over and over again. And uh, that's something that I'm feeling right now, that Kalela remix album that came out. Awesome. And I'll just wrap with my last question that I ask folks uh, on the show, which is if you could give advice to your younger self, and that can be anything, a different timeline, a couple of days ago, whatever that means for you, but advice to your younger self, what would it be? Fight back, fight back, stand up and hit back. Stand up, yell back. Just don't be afraid. It's so much better to to fight back on people who are just taking advantage of you. And I wish I did that much earlier in my life. But, you know, we were just children and we have those little children inside of us and we should just love and care for those little children and let them know that it's okay if you were scared. But certainly fight back. That's beautiful. I mean, it's so it resonates with me. So thank you for sharing that. That's all the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I'm just quite honored you you uh, thought of me in this way to talk about art, music, and life. Oh no, thank you for being on it. It was such a pleasure. I've had my eye on like reaching out to you for a while, so I'm glad it finally happened. I'm such an admirer of the work that you do and all that you're you represent. So thank you, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being authentic and vulnerable with us. I know your story is going to mean a lot to people, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And before you go, can you just plug any uh, social media, SoundCloud, wherever people can find you or your work? 100%. Sick Knowledge is the handle. SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just reach out to me. Let me know what you're listening to. I'm performing at Indian Summer in Vancouver, July 6th. I'll be at Afropunk in New York, Brooklyn, August, I think, 23rd, 24th or 22nd, 23rd that weekend. Walking around, enjoying the Saturday, potentially spinning a set with Poppy Juice, still trying to bug them for that but i'm in touch with them yeah just stay on the lookout for more sets to come come through come check me out it is a tough world out there to bring such a niche sort of sound but i'm doing it absolutely and i admire it 100 thank you so much for being on we really really appreciate it bless thank you thank you for listening to the latest episode of queering daisy if you enjoy this podcast please be sure to rate and subscribe on itunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.